Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the LFC Report podcast. Tonight, I'm your host, Les Lawson, and I'm joined, as usual, by my two partners in crime, Tom Keegan and Pete Warburton. And tonight, we have a special guest from The Athletic, the one and only, and he's known on Twitter as Bad News Pierce. Welcome, James Pierce. So, <laughs> to, to start off tonight, just let's take our minds back to 12 months ago. Liverpool were about to sign, or maybe already had signed, Darwin Nunes. Uh, Sadio Mane was in the, the throes of leaving Liverpool. And we were expecting maybe the midfield to be reinforced. When you look back you know, to that time, was it, in your opinion, or what you've heard or whatever, down to Jürgen Klopp that the, the midfield sort of stayed the same? Was it down to lack of funds by FSG? Always a little bit of a mixture of both. Yeah, I'd say it was a mixture, a mixture of the two, really. I think um, when you go back to last summer, you know, we, you know, it was well, well reported on and documented at the time. Liverpool wanted Tushimani at, at Monaco, who obviously chose to go to Real Madrid instead. You know, that happened relatively early in the window, and um, and you know, the the word from the club after that was we probably aren't going to pursue a plan B. And you think, well, that's that's strange because, you know, the fact that you were going to commit such, you know, big sum of money on to Shemaini would suggest that you clearly think there's a need there. So so where's the backup option? And, you know, and the word was obviously, well, Bellingham is, is another option, but getting him out of Dortmund last summer was impossible. And, it, you know, I'm sure you guys remember over at the start of pre-season, Klopp, did a bit of a round table chat with quite a few journalists at Kirby. And he said then, you know, I don't understand this clamour for us to sign a midfielder. So it wasn't, it wasn't as if he was banging the drum. Yeah. We need to really address this area. I think, I think he probably would admit now um, that he, that they, they overestimated what that current crop had left in the tank, especially on the back of that 63 game season, because the attitude seemed to be, well, look, if we can't get exactly who we want, then we'll sit tight and rebuild in the midfield can wait to the summer of 2023. Um, which, you know, I must admit, you know, I could kind of understand in the immediate aftermath of Tushimani, but then as, as pre-season gathered pace and, of course, you know, those other midfielders were dropping like flies where you had, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain injured again, Cater injured, Thiago obviously did his hamstring on the opening weekend. By that point, you were thinking, surely they're going to have to splash the cash on the midfielder. And as we know, they didn't. And they ultimately went and panicked and brought in Arthur Mello on loan on deadline day, which turned out pretty disastrously for everyone. Don't you think, James? I think that I'd, it, we've done that a couple of times, haven't we, under FSG? If you look, you, you've done it with, with the forward when we were short of forwards, just after Luis Suarez uh, had gone. And, and we left ourselves without a forward. And then we were, we were, we, are we going to go and get somebody? Are we going to bring somebody in? And the last minute we panicked and got Balotelli. And, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it was the same sort of thing. I think everybody felt that we needed a midfield player. I think, as you said, Tushimeni was the one we all wanted. And I think a lot of people would have been, I think, had he had come in, would he have made the total difference you know, who knows, but we were definitely short. And as the season panned out, it was obvious, you know, like, and I think now we're in a situation now where we're playing catch-up, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think, um, and it has put a lot of pressure on trying to almost rebuild an entire department of the squad in, in effectively one window. Because, you know, Liverpool obviously looked in the January window decided they couldn't get what they wanted and decided to bolster the front line and effectively bought, you know, Firmino's replacement in Cody Gagpo um, six months in advance, really. Um, but you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think, you know, McAllister is a really, bringing him in, I think is a really shrewd purchase. I think um, there's obviously different figures being banded around, but which, whichever it is, um it's a great deal, I think, for a World Cup winner, someone who's an absolute class act. I thought he lit up the games against Liverpool last season. But, yeah, Liverpool need more than that. I think they still need to go and get two more midfielders because, um, yeah, when you when you look... It's not... And again, it, it, it kind of 
And I remember last July when Klopp said it, you know, I think he said, you know, what do people want? This golden cow of a midfielder that does everything. And and you're like, well, well, no, it's just that, you know, a lot of these midfielders you do have are either past their peak or injury prone or unreliable. And, you know, and so, yeah, you, on paper, you might have eight or nine midfielders, but how many of them are at their peak? You'd probably say age-wise, the only midfielder you'd say that was peak years last season with Naby Keita. And of course, he barely played and, and had a lot of fitness problems. So, um, so yeah, it's it's going to be intriguing what they do now because, yeah, McAllister's a great start to the window, but it, that's all it is, a good start. Yeah, uh, JP. The thing as well is that when you look through our midfield, you know, there's, there's more a case of getting rid of more of them than keeping more of them, if you see what I mean. If you had, you know, if you had unlimited funds, you know, you'd be you'd be probably looking, and you'd have a blank sheet of paper, in my opinion anyway, you'd probably be looking at keeping Pachetic, you'd probably be looking at keeping uh, Curtis Jones, but there'd certainly be question marks about all the others. You know, I think, you know, I've had this conversation with you before, I think, Harvey Elliott, I don't know where he fits in. I don't think he's good enough or quick enough to play cover for Mo Salah. I don't think he's a midfield player, not not the type that Liverpool need anyway. And that could be that could be more down to the way the team were playing or the system than him, but he doesn't seem to fit. Fabinho is the one who really worries me, in that his legs just seem to have completely fell off. And I, I for one, I'm not convinced by all this sort of reporting at the end of the season. Now, you know, it's good to have the old Fabinho back. Because there were still times in those games where, you know, when he was running, he was just like, it was just like watching Charlie Adam in the, um, you know, in the in the Legends games. You know what I mean? Just had <laughs> no legs, no legs at all. And then you have, you know, Jordan Henderson, who's who's whose mind is still willing, but his legs won't take him there anymore. And like you look forward to next season, you think, well, if Liverpool want to challenge again, I don't really want to see Jordan Henderson starting double figures in league games because I just don't think his form merits it or his physical condition. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. I think first thing I'd say was you have to be very careful about trying to change too much too soon. I think, you know, you only have to look at the absolute shambles that Chelsea were last season to see that, you know, suddenly trying to make sweeping changes in one go very, very rarely comes off. So I, I think there's enough change in that midfield department this summer with, of course, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater moving on. You know, Arsene Mello, we don't really count because he never he never played a Premier League game anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I never I never kind of believed this thing of like, Liverpool need a mass clear out and just start again because I think we that to me doesn't make much sense. In terms of taking some of those players one by one, Fabinho... I agree with you, Les. I thought probably the praise for him probably went a little bit beyond kind of what was what was kind of deserved at the back end of the season. It was probably linked to like, because I think he'd had that much stick that people thought, you know, credit where it's due, he has improved. And I think he definitely did improve, but not back to where he was before. I think he looked a lot more comfortable in the new system where he essentially had Trent alongside him when Liverpool were in possession. Um but I would be persevering with Fabino. I I think I think at the age of what is he not long turned twenty nine. I I think I think he's good enough and young enough to come again. Um, I also think Tiago. I think as long as you get two more in this summer, I think one more year of Tiago where he's almost a bit of a luxury. You know, you don't overexert him. He's perfect for certain games because I don't think there's much of a value in selling him with a year to go. You know, Liverpool have showed in recent years they're willing to let players run down their deals if they think there's better value in keeping them for the last year rather than flogging them on. Um, you know, and then you know what are the other ones there. Harvey Elliott, I think I think you're a bit harsh on Harvey Elliott there. I think mean, you, know, you don't play what was it forty odd plus games for Liverpool as you did last season if unless you know you've got the skill set. I think yes, he's still learning his trade, but I thought tactically. He did evolve as a player over the course of the season. Um, and, and again, he's so young. I think that's the thing with Harvey Elliott. He's been on the scene for quite a while, but he only turned 20 in April, you know, a couple of months back. 
So he's at an age where most kids are still dreaming and making that step up to the seniors. Yet he's got this experience under his under his belt. So I'd definitely be persevering with him. Um, Henderson, I think you, you're right that I think the days of him being an automatic starter are definitely waning. Was he 33? Um, I think Klopp will have to, you know, look at you know there'll be a reduction in his game time. Yet I still think there's going to be uh, you know enough games next season that that will include him and he's still having him an important part to play and you know and I'm intrigued to see how Curtis Jones gets on because I think that that felt like a massive last six seven weeks of the season for him where you know having had that horrendous injury that just just wrecked his season up from pretty much from September to April and then to come back like he did and he's another one that absolutely flourished in that new system. So, um, and then, yeah, you're right, Besetic to come back into the mix after his injury. There's a lot of young talent there and there's some old heads. I think what Liverpool are lacking and where McAllister's a step in the right de- direction is elite quality who are either not quite in their best years or or just coming into their best years. And that's what they need to not need to address. James, <clears throat> the, the source of two... Two camps in the Liverpool fans at the minute with regard to Trent. Half of them are saying keep him at right back and let him do his wandering. Um and let the you know the likes of Canarse and Van Dyke and Robbo look after the defensive side. And then there's another train of thought where we think Liverpool should go in for a a right back to to literally free Trent up to midfield full time. What would What's your thoughts on that? I, I quite like the position he plays, where he starts at right back, but he wanders, you know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I like I like that hybrid role of his, where he's given that that freedom, and I think it does free up some of the defensive responsibilities, and also it just plays to his strengths. Of he's by far and away the best passer of the ball in the squad, and a creative spark. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what Klopp does in pre-season because, um, you know, it did work. You know, Liverpool went 11 games unbeaten at the back end of the season with that with that new system. Um, was it completely convincing? Probably not when you look at some of the performances and, you know, you think of the Tottenham game where, you know, Liverpool were picked off on the counter-attack and that gap is, is exposed. And there's kind of... And there's other kind of knock-on effects, isn't there, where almost Andy Robertson is almost expected to play as a third centre-half and that restricts his attacking kind of capabilities. So there's a, there's a lot to um, unravel there. Um, what I will say at the minute, there's no sign of Liverpool being in the market for another right-back, which would suggest to me that Klopp does still see Trent as effectively the starting right-back who then goes wandering into midfield when Liverpool are in possession because as much as Liverpool were really impressed by Connor Bradley during his season on loan at, at Bolton, um, I think it's a huge ask to expect him to suddenly come in and be starting games at Premier League level. I think we'll see him get chances in pre-season. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think if Klopp saw Trent as like, well, he, now he's a midfielder, that is going to be where he plays for us. You know, forget the hybrid role. He's going to be just a midfielder. Liverpool would have to go and buy a right back this summer, and they, like I said at the minute, there's no sign of that. Yeah, they seem I, to. I, so, they seem to. Or well, the whispers are that they're going to loan out Calvin Ramsey to get more experience. So I suppose because of his injuries, so there's one right back out the door for the season possibly as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's definitely going to Preston North End. So yeah, Liverpool right. have got a good good relationship with Preston, and obviously. Ryan Lowe, a big Liverpool fan in charge there. I think Mike Marsh is on his coaching staff as well. And Ben Woodburn, I think, is there as well, I'm right in saying. So, um, so yeah, I think for Calvin Ramsey, you know, poor lad, you know, it was a horrendous first year for him at the club because, you know, rewind 12 months. And, you know, that was one of Liverpool's priorities going into last summer was we need backup for Trent because, you know, you had Simicast on the left-hand side. He didn't really have anyone capable of easing the burden on Trent on the right. And Calvin Ramsey was supposed to be that kid. But um, yeah, first season wrecked by injuries. So yeah, he he just needs to go and play and, and get his fitness back and try and get back to where he was before Liverpool signed him. Mm-hmm. 
I think I, I think Trent will end up in midfield, James. I, I'm one of the, the the camp. I think what it was interesting what Guardiola said about about the hybrid role because he was one of the architects of devising this system, wasn't he? Yeah. He said it's he said it's all right playing the hybrid role until you you know he said there's good teams will exploit that space. And he's meaning that himself and probably other teams. And other teams will watch that and I'll, I'll learn from the hybrid role to get the best out of Trent because I don't see anybody better than Trent. I've said this to Les and said to Peter all the way through, probably for, for over the last 18 months, I don't see anything that Steven Gerrard did that Trent can't do. I think he's, he's got everything to his game. He looks... A totally different player in the midfield role. I think if I, I think he's a natural midfield player. Whether we, whether you decide, and I, I, I'd be looking at you know a player that we've all forgot about all all the time is Joe Gomez. He was a he was a decent player, you know. I know. I, I think he got skinned against against um, Real Madrid. And a lot of people were having a go because he, he he let Vinicius get away a couple of times. But you know what? There's there's some quality right backs that get skimmed by Vinicius. Yeah. So you know, like this, it's not a. I, I wouldn't put that down as a as a reason for not using them. But he's more than capable of going in a right back. Yeah, he is. I think I think the only thing the only caveat I'd say with Gomez is. He, he it does limit you attacking wise on that right hand side. He, he's not. He's not anything like is he the Trent mould in terms of being able to whip in crosses and 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 provide creativity out wide. So I think he's definitely an option. I think that's why you know there's a lot of talk at the minute about Liverpool shopping around for another centre half, which I think I think makes sense because you know Matip's only got one year left on his deal, um, and you know whether and at the moment. They seem to be planning for next season with Matip still on board, but you need to you need to be succession planning. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be looking to move on Joe Gomez for one of those reasons that he is capable of providing you cover at right back as well as in the middle. I felt sorry for Joe Gomez last season because it is hard when when you don't have that regular football and you're just thrown in intermittently to to perform at that top level. And I think some people do. F- Forget just you know. I think back to the title-winning season, how how brilliant he was for for chunks of that season. And and again, he's still relatively young, especially in centre-back terms, in terms of players reaching their peak. But um, yeah, I'm not. I'm just not sure that I'd be comfortable going into the season I, 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 with with Go Gomez as, as effectively the senior right-back option. If if we're then if we're then viewing Trent as a as a midfielder. JP, so. So with, with James Milner no longer being there, Mr. Reliable to cover, you know, right full back, you know, like he did at home against Manchester City last season. I mean, there's been some discussions, especially on with the more sort of sensible people on Twitter who you can have, you know, sensible conversations with. You know, are there about, sensible people on Twitter? But not many of them, but there are, <laughs> there are a few, JP. There are a few. Um, and, you know, I just wonder whether... Is Jordan Henderson likely to fill in and sort of become, if you like, the new James Milner? So he could sort of fill in. I mean, he had played at right back, young, you know, in his younger days, in his early days at Liverpool, a few times. Um, and I just wonder whether, you know, with with as you said there, you know, Calvin Ramsey's gone on loan. We've got, um, you know, young Conor Bradley coming back and Joe Gomez. You know, and Trent can't play every game anyway, even if he was going to be playing as a traditional right-back. So they've got to have something in mind for somebody who's going to play there. The only other one is, of course, as somebody mentioned, is Fabinho, because he used to play yeah. like Monaco. But yeah. you know, he's so slow now that I think Tommy could run past him and Tommy's got a bad knee. <laughs> I won't have it next week. I won't have it two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's an interesting one isn't it, with Jordan in terms of you, you, you're right. He, I'm sure he could do a job there, and maybe that is maybe that is the the evolution of him into into being that utility man that can fill all kinds of different jobs as and when required. And he's he's very much in the middle of the mold, isn't he? In terms of the team always comes first. You know, whatever whatever I can do to help. I'll just get on with it. 
Um, so, so yeah, I think I think if you ask Jordan Henderson, he, that would probably give him extra motivation to come back and and absolutely work his socks off in preseason and prove that he should be one of the starting three in midfield. But um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we also see him filling in else elsewhere at times. And, and yeah, I don't don't not I know he has played there before, but I wouldn't be particularly excited about the prospect of being seeing Fabino at right back. <laughs> yeah, I know um, with pre-season coming up, it seems like we've only just finished, but <clears throat> normally pre-season, we tend to see a couple of the kids getting out in, in these games. And it'd be interesting to see if Ben Doak can carry on his form from, you know, from the, the junior squad if he wants and maybe maybe make a claim to get into the senior squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was down at Kirby doing an interview with Alex Inglethorpe, the academy manager, recently, and um, he was absolutely raving about Ben Doak. Say, you know, saying about how they'd just been absolutely blown away by him during his his first year at Liverpool after moving down from from Celtic. And you know, I've, I watched a fair bit of academy football over the course of the season, and he's just fearless. I think that's the that's the thing that gets me. He's, Almost shades of it reminds me a little bit of a young Wayne Rooney in terms of in terms of just like holding his own physically against people 10, 12 years older than him and and how you know losing the ball doesn't affect him. He still demands it, he still runs at defenders like you know, he's like he's beaten him 10 times already. Um so so yeah, I know people quite often say to me, Oh, you know, we don't have enough cover for Salah on the right hand side, and you know that. You know, it, it, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not sustainable that Salah always is always fit for every single game because Touchwood, you know, his appearance record is absolutely extraordinary. But yeah, part of that is because Ben Doak is coming through, um, and we just saw a few glimpses glimpses of him, did we, in a first team shirt last season? But yeah, he he is one they've got massive, massive hopes for, and. It's you know, and, and and you know the other the other thing is young players sometimes emerge when you're not even really expecting them to 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 really step up because a year ago, if anyone had said to us, Stefan Bersetic is going to play 19 times for the first team, you'd have gone, you know, you need to put that whiskey down and stop drinking because it was he was so far off, you know, he he was it was he was surprised just to be included on the preseason tour of Asia and yet. You know, he came in, he got included, he blew the staff away with his with his attitude and his application as well as his talent and, and forced his way in. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who hopefully follows in his footsteps and and kind of grasps that chance this time around. Sorry, Les. Where do you see um, Nunes fitting in next season? That's see, that I, th- I think that is probably one of the most interesting topics going into pre-season and and obviously they start to report back to Kirby on July the 8th the internationals come back three days after that because I, I thought it was interesting listening to Klopp towards the back end of the season when he he, he vo- you know he volunteered it really he was asked about Nunes and he, and he said you know the lack of English is one of the things that has held him back because it's difficult to really get across you know, what you want from him all the time. And, you know, there is that barrier. So one thing I really hope is that Darwin Nunes has taken that on board and then during his holidays has been stepping up his his English lessons because um, I, I thought his first season at Liverpool was, was satisfactory. I thought for someone, for a relatively young player, forget the transfer fee because he didn't decide that. I think it's unfair to burden him with that. But I thought, I thought we saw flashes of ability, but it was never really sustained. He could never put a proper run together. But I think the biggest thing for him is where does he fit into this Klopp team? Because a year ago, when when he first signed, I remember asking Klopp and he was saying, well, you know, it, Darwin gives us unpredictability because, you know, we've always been out, been about having a false nine and it's someone in the Bobby Firmino mould who drops off into space while Darwin likes the ball out in front of him. He wants to burst in behind defenders. And so there was this idea that Liverpool's style was going to evolve. And then obviously, as it was, the team misfired so badly and regressed that that wasn't the case. And, and of course, Liverpool looked a much better team once Gag, Gagpo came in and, and effectively learned that Bobby role, having, having played most of his football at PSV on the left side of a front three. 
Um, so yeah, I, you'd like to think Darwin Nunes will come back with a the real like bit between his teeth because you know the brutal reality is you look at it at the moment and you go, well, Cody Gakpo is undoubtedly the first choice number nine. Who's the first choice left sided attacker? You know, probably probably Diaz. I think you know, and again, big preseason for Diaz because I don't think having had so long out, we didn't see the best of him towards the back end of the season. But that left side is so well stacked, really, when you've got, you know, you've got Jota that can obviously play there as well. Um, you know, we'll wait to see what happens with Fabio Cavallio. Probably alone is the most likely uh, thing for him. And you've got Nunes can play wide left, but, you know, he'd rather play through the middle. But I think he's going to have to adapt and he's going to have to take on board what, what Klopp wants from him. Because if he doesn't, then his game time is going to be limited again. JP, just going back a step, you were talking about, you know, Ben Dolkin and some of the young players coming through. What's the latest with Kay Gordon? Because he looked a tremendous prospect and seems to be like, you know, the forgotten man, really. And, you know, he's been out for a, over a season, now a season and a bit. So yeah. fingers crossed that the lad is, is going to come back and, and have a full pre-season and be raring to go. Yeah, I think I, I did ask Alex Singlethorpe about Cade actually in the same same interview, and he was saying, you know, the hope is that he will be back in pre-season. The you know there was some talk I think around January February time that he he might be able to to step it up again, but you know unfortunately these these effectively growing pains, as, as I was explained to me, I think it was it was pelvic that was pelvic issues that were holding him back, and and there's no real there's no real treatment. I think Steven Gerrard went through the same thing in, in his adolescent years in terms of growing pains and you just have to let kind of nature take its course. So massively frustrating. I think, I just think it would probably be unrealistic to think that Kay Gordon is going to be, you know, be going to be lighting up pre-season games and a serious option for the, the early, early part of the season because, you know, the way Alex Inglethorpe described it to me, he said, you know, the priority he said, "Just it's for him. Is to just focus on the under twenty ones initially. Get back, you know, almost like trust your body again." I think was the way that he described it. Because, as you said, I think it was February February twenty twenty two, the last time he played any competitive football. So it's been a you know a long, long time out. So um, yeah, let's just hope he can he can get back, stay fit, you know, and build it up, and then and then yeah, hopefully. You know, a few months into the season, he might be in a position where he can, where he can, you know, rejoin the senior setup and and really push. But yeah, I think I don't I don't think it's a situation that we're going to suddenly see him at the start of of pre season as as someone that Klopp is seriously looking at. I think it will take a bit of time after so long out. JP, go on, Pete. I was just going to say, just sort of going off off Liverpool for a bit. What's the what's your thoughts on all the shenanigans with this Saudi Arabian investments or whatever you want to call it, and all these to and thrones? It sounds like the the signs of cherry pick a lot of the the older players who probably want a big payday on the last move. But when when you get people like Hudson Odoi being linked as a twenty three year old, twenty two year old, it's quite frightening to be honest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I must admit it was. The one that got me was Ruben Neves because mm -hmm. I really like Ruben Neves as a player, and he's you know he's done very well against Liverpool when he's played against them. And twenty six years of age, and you're talking about you know one of the real highly rated midfielders in in the Premier League. There was you know, not long ago he was being you know he was you know, there was a lot. I think our, our our reporters at the Athletic you know wrote that he was being seriously looked at by Barcelona, and and that was a move that might happen for Neves this summer, and then suddenly. You see him signing over there, and you're left scratching your head. And you know we we, we know that money talks, but it's you know you can you can kind of understand it for like a Benzema at the back end of his of his career, and even you know Angola Kante to an extent at Chelsea. Um, but yeah, when when you see players who are you know 26, you know not even really at their peak, you know accepting life in 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 like you know a, a backwater league essentially in the Saudi Premier League. Um yeah, I found that pretty depressing. And you know, obviously there's a lot of talk at the moment as well about these links between, you know, Chelsea's ownership 
and you know the investment that they've had you know that i think clearwater the group that own chelsea there's been some investment there from the saudis and now you know saudi clubs are now paying pretty you know large sums of money for cast offs at chelsea which i know you know i know like matt slater who worked at the athletic has has said that you know from from what he's established there's, there's, there's there isn't any dodgy dealings going on so um but yeah it certainly raises eyebrows because um you just it's just it's it's just it's just a bit bit depressing i find because you know we've seen how sports washing does work we've seen that we see it every day on social media where any criticism of you know the saudis you know you get an army of of newcastle fans who are up in arms, the same if there's any criticism of, of Abu Dhabi and, and Man City. Um, so we, we know that it is a very effective way to, to, to try and, you know, transform reputations and, and profile. And, um, you know, you had the Saudis recently, didn't you, buying into, you know, effectively buying the sport of golf with with the deal they did with the, the USPGA over there. So, um so yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, at the minute, funny enough, I was making some calls earlier on about whether, you know, whether there's you know, been any approaches from any clubs over there yet for anyone at Liverpool. Because um, I think there were some quotes a few days ago, someone mentioning about you know one of their dreams was to get Mo Salah to the the Saudi Premier League. But you know, I think we can well and truly scratch that one off for certainly the next year or two because um, you know. You only had to look at Mo Salah's tweet towards the back end of the season to, you know, the the value he attaches to playing, you know, at the highest level in Europe, and you know, he he wouldn't be interested in a move like that at this stage of his career. But you know, as we're seeing with all these other deals, that um, that these eye-watering sums of money uh, can convince even players in their prime to head over there. JP, just going back on the Liverpool stuff a little bit. And, and again, just touching on transfers again. Costas Simicas, right, he's got... I like Costas. I think he's a, a really good, decent backup left-back to, to Robbo. But he's got two years left on his contract, you know, as we stand. You know, surely now, this is the time for Liverpool to start to stop letting players run down the contracts and try and offload and bring some money in because... What my feeling is, if Costas is here for the whole of this season, he'll be another player whose contract will run down because he will think, well, I may as well stay here for another 12 months. I'm still going to be young enough and then I can choose where I want to go and what contract I want. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tricky because I think it comes back to what we talked about before of, you know, you've got to be careful not to try and change too much too soon in in one window. Um, I think the Liverpool seemed pretty relaxed about it. I know there were some discussions, weren't there? I think Simicus was quite emotional at the last home game of the season and some people jumped to the conclusion, that, oh, you know, was that him saying goodbye as well? And I was told that wasn't the case and that, you know, as far as the player was concerned, he'd be back in pre-season. Liverpool were planning for next season with him on board. So I've certainly not heard any whispers of them of them looking to to sell him on. Um, I mean, it's a, bal- it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you think, on the one hand, you're right, Les, that you don't want to risk losing another one for nothing. But it's like, he's still got two years left. He only costs, what was it, 11.75 million. That You'd probably say that you've almost got your money's worth already in terms of, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have probably paid that for his winning penalty in the FA Cup finals. So it's, it, it, it's not like a... You know, a cater style massive fee, fifty odd million, and you're thinking, oh, you know, what do you do? Um, I wonder whether they might just wait and see with that one, um, or maybe offer him, you know, a, a one or a two year extension, maybe to protect the value. But um, yeah, I, 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 I like Simicus in terms of I think I don't think you're going to get much better than him in terms of a backup option as a left back. JP, in in an article in the Athletic early in the week, you spoke about the three A's. Can you explain to the listeners what the three A's are in terms of recruitment? 
Um, <laughs> that was a, that was before my holiday. That I don't what. So I think the three A's must have been. You might have to ability, availability, affordability. That's Is that it. right, Liz? Wow, that's, that's good. Right, it was a couple of weeks back I wrote that. Yeah, yeah, that was. Um, that's one of the mantras that they use behind the scenes in the recruitment department at Liverpool. I think that, that must have. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, that was a piece I wrote about the McAllister deal, um, and kind of like the the work that went into into signing him and. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's you know that those are the kind of the three things that they always they ask themselves. What you know, it's obviously Julian Ward's now passed the baton on to York Schmadke. Um, so it's you know Schmadke assisted by Barry Hunter and Dave Fallows, and and then in conversations with Klopp and, and Mike Gordon, who's now very much back hands on again at Liverpool, the FSG president. But um, but yeah, the, you know, is this player good enough? Is he does he tick all the boxes that we need? in terms of his skill set, you know, what is his availability in terms of, you know, is he gettable in terms of how long has he got left on his contract? Are there any clauses that we can possibly take advantage of, like there was with the McAllister one? Uh, and then affordability, you know, what is it going to take? What will it take in terms of wages? And then you have to decide yes or no whether you're going to press the button on it. And, um, and I think that's probably why we've seen kind of a bit of a lull in kind of activity since the McAllister deal a couple of weeks back, because, you know, for a start, I think the, you know, I think I wrote at the time that nothing else was imminent. One of the reasons why was this under 21's European championships, because a lot of, a lot of, you know, the names have been well documented, haven't they? You've got, you know, Vega at Celta Vigo, you've got Taram, um, you know, at, um, at Nice, and you've got Kone at Munchen Gladbach, Gravenberch, of course, at Bayern, uh, who were you know players involved in this tournament. Um, so once they'd met up with their international squads, you know, you were never going to be able to get deals done then. Um, and, and of course, the, the other thing that I think some people forget, you know, because I'm, I'm sure you'll see it every day on social media, the, you know, the, the kind of, I want a new signing now, you know, where's the next new signing? This is a disgrace and all this. And it's like, well, these players that are involved in the under-21 European Championships, when their involvement ends, they'll all have three weeks off, minimum. So, so the idea that you need to sign them now, because, you know, if you don't, then, you know, Liverpool aren't serious about strengthening. It's just a nonsense because, you know, if any of those players get to the back end of the Championships, which they may well do, it's going to be like late July before they're effectively linking up with the Liverpool squad anyway so they're going to have a shortened pre-season so um and the other thing is on the you know one of the A's the affordability one you know it's there's a negotiation isn't there I think the McAllister deal was different to a lot of deals because because of the clause Liverpool knew well effectively if you do the deal with the players representatives you then the easy part is then going to Brighton and going well look you know we know how much it's going to take you haven't really got much much option here. Whilst you know, take take Taram at Nice. That's just not the case. If you're if you're Nice, you know you, you're probably thinking, well, with a bit of luck, Taram will absolutely light up the under twenty one Euros, and you know they they will want some kind of auction for his signature. So um, I'm not surprised that 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 one is is dragging on a bit. So um, it's. Yeah, it's a you know it's and, and I think some of the other interesting bits I found out from looking into that was you know the the Liverpool with with targets that they become serious about they watch them in fifteen game blocks and assess them and I know and if the data you know suggests there's been any kind of downturn or upturn they try and look into the reasons why you know what's been done differently is there any particular reason there is a you know when you think of all the the background character checks. And all the rest of it. You know, there's a lot of there's a hell of a lot of groundwork that goes into these type of things. So um, yeah, it's it's, it's just going to be really interesting to see where they do turn next because you know I, I know Klopp did say towards the back end of the season, you know he, he would love to have the squad together for the start of preseason, but I think I think realistically he would have known that was never really likely. You know, but, you know, especially because you know, with 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 this under twenty ones Euros, players have got to have a decent holiday after it. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, JP. It, it, it does sort of 
you know, explain to a lot of people and a lot of people who'd be listening to the pod, you know, the complexities really of transfers. It's not just sort of, well, let's go in and get this done. You know, because Liverpool might have wanted to get it done, say for Tehran. But as you said, Nice might be saying, well, hold on a minute. He's our player. We get it done now. We could get an extra 10 million for him if he performs well, you know, in the in the Euros. So in your opinion, is Tehran sort of the one who's, in your, who you think is highest up on the list, likely to be the next next cab off the rank, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I would say he is. Although I would caveat that with I, I don't I don't think it's inevitable. I don't I wouldn't if you said to me, "Is a big bag of cash? Are you putting it on 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 to Ram?" I I wouldn't go that far. I think I think there's clearly strong interest there. And that discussions have taken place. Yet, you know, I, I think there has to be a question mark next to it until until you've agreed a deal with Nice. From you know, from just following on from what we what I said before, the fact that they will want him to go to the highest bidder. So, um, you know, and we know that previous transfer dealings have shown us that Liverpool tend to put a value on players. And if you know, if they don't, if they don't. You know, feel as if what they're being quoted is reasonable, then they're prepared to walk away. They've done that numerous times in the past. So, um, so yeah, I thought I thought it was telling the other week the comments from Canate about you know how enthusiastic he was about the prospect of Taram joining Liverpool. Um, I think you know that tells you there's certainly been a topic of discussion. Um, but yeah, it's I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a. Uh, it's a done deal yet. I mean, Gravenberch is an interesting one because I know from speaking to people in Holland that Liverpool had really positive discussions with his representative going back to, I think it was probably maybe in late April, early May. And Gravenberch is certainly open to the idea of leaving Bayern, um, you know, a big, big talent who was so highly rated at Ajax and then found his game time pretty limited at, at Bayern. So I think there's a lot of moving parts at the moment. You know, someone at Liverpool described it to me as, you know, we're spinning plates and just, you know, waiting to see which one lands at the minute because, you know, Bayern's stance on Gravenberch up until now has been, no, 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 you know, it was a long-term investment. We're not looking to sell. Um, but I think if that stance started to, to waver, um, then Liverpool would, would make a move on that front. So, um so yeah, I think it'll all become clearer in the you know the next the next week or two. It'll be interesting more to see where who ends up at where with the, the two names we've thrown to around is Barelli is Barella and um, Tushimeni again, but I, I can't see either of them coming in, James. Not for the kind of money that they'd be looking for. No, I I agree with you. I think um, I mean I think the, the Tushimeni rumor. Has purely stemmed from the fact that Liverpool wanted to sign him a year ago and and obviously missed out. So it's like it's an easy one to to link because it's like well we know we know that Liverpool are, are, are interested in him, but I've certainly had no indication from our Spanish guys at the Athletic that who cover Real Madrid that that Real Madrid are, are seriously considering cashing in on him. Um, you know, I know he didn't. He didn't always get the nod to start, but again, he was. I'm sure Real Madrid look at him as a as a long term investment. Um, I mean, Barella's an interesting one. Again, really highly rated, but I, I just can't see it at the figures being touted around. I mean, I'm, I think there was a story last week about Newcastle and you know 50 million, and the thing that jumped out at me that was 50 million gone for 50 million. You know, I'd, I'd like to think if that's the, the asking price. That Liverpool should be knocking on the door, and you know, forget the fact that Newcastle can offer Champions League football. I still don't seriously believe that any player would turn down Liverpool to, to sign for Newcastle. Um, but yeah, then then speaking to some of our Italian guys, they were like, no, 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 Inter say you know, fifty million wouldn't get you his left leg. You know, it's you're, you're looking at kind of eighty million plus, absolutely minimum to to get them to the table. So. Um, yeah, there's been you know talk of him, and I think I think he's was he 26, so he's Barella also is like I'd say pretty much at the top end, of, probably beyond the top end of of the kind of profile that Liverpool are looking at. Because I think 
when you look at those other names that have been well documented, you know, Vega, Taram, Kone, Gravenberg, they're all around that 22, 21, 20 age group, which they're the ones that, you know, Liverpool and Klopp in particular, you know, love to target because it's, you know, you, you, you're getting a player that's already played at a decent level, decent amount of exposure, decent amount of experience, but, you know, with someone with, with big, big potential. And, and, you know, those players really would also tick the box of Klopp doesn't tend to buy the finished article. He likes to, he likes to, you know, polish a player and turn him into the finished article. And you know, probably in his time at Liverpool, you'd only say Allison and Van Dijk arguably would be two that he's bought off the absolute top shelf. You know, everyone else has, has come with kind of doubts hanging over them and, and lots of things still to prove. JP, can, can I ask you with regard to this homegrown rule within the Premier League in Europe, am I right in saying that, say, <coughs> Liverpool signed Gabby Vega, that he would be counted as he wouldn't need to be named in the 25 man Premier League squad because he's under the age of 21, but he can still play. But in Europe, he'd have to be named in the squad. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to play because he hasn't been at the club for long enough. Am I, am I reading that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 was that's my understanding of it. I'm no I'm no expert on the homegrown rules. I know my colleague Andy Jones at the Athletic wrote a a piece about it. I think about a month ago now. But um, but yeah, it's it's something that Liverpool have to bear in mind. Obviously, this summer, I think it was one of the reasons why. You know, initially they were very keen to pursue Mason Mount, um, but you know, I, you know, I, I, the thing with Mason Mount was when 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 I heard some of the figures that Chelsea were were touting around, you just thought, well, there's no way, there's no way Liverpool are gonna are gonna pay that because you know, for someone who's only got a year left on his deal, and I think I think United had another bid rejected, didn't they yesterday? You know, Chelsea holding out for seventy million. And you think, you know, I, I wouldn't say that's a, a shrewd investment for someone down to his down to his last year. Um, and yeah, I was I was also told that you know United were keen on McAllister, and then once they found out that Liverpool were way down the road with the McAllister deal, that that United then went kind of all in on Mount. Um, so I think, um, yeah, Mount I think would have well, one of the attractions of him at a reasonable price would have been that homegrown rule um, because, of course, you know, you're losing Milner, you're losing Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, but yeah, Liverpool still seem pretty relaxed about it. I mean, I think, I think probably for me, the kind of the biggest indicator of that is the fact they've offered Adrian a new deal because if it was something that they were seriously worried about, then, you know, having a third choice goalkeeper who's homegrown would be, you know, a very easy change to make really to, to fill another homegrown spot. Yeah, you know, I interviewed Adrian towards the end of the season and he said, yeah, we're in, you know, advanced talks, don't envisage any issues, you know, looks like I'll be staying put. So unless there's a major change there, it looks like he'll be, he'll be staying. But, but yeah, it's, I know, I know the rules are slightly different for Europe and the Premier League and obviously younger players, you know, are, you know, there, there, there is, you know, different, different rules for them than, than senior ones and you know things like you know if you've been in the academy system you might be from overseas but if you've been in the academy system for, for three years you you then class as homegrown so I think um I think I'm right in saying that Basetic you know will, will be I think I think he I think he did class as homegrown didn't he I think in the second half of last season I'm sure I'm sure when mm. Liverpool kind of put in their Champions League list for the second half of the season the Besetic no longer had to be classed as a, as a as an overseas player. Yeah, because Ben Dolk, I think, is in a similar position, isn't he? If he wants to be registered, I think, for the for the Europa League this year, I think he has to be named in the 25-man squad because he's only been with us, he'll only been with us 12 months only at the time of you know, that competition, <laughs> even though he's only sort of 17, 18. So it's a as I say, so we're a bit hamstrung in certain places. With certain young players, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's obviously something that Liverpool have to negotiate their way through this this summer. But yeah, they 
they uh, I, I I know it is a is a talking point and it is something they have to they have to like contemplate but um yeah I, I just think if it was a real concern I just I just don't think you'd be offering new terms to Adrian so they clearly think that they can they can get a, they can keep within the rules and have more than enough depth to to last them for the challenges ahead JP, what anything, any updates on the investment front? No interest. No, it's you know it's interesting. So that someone, someone on my desk in London asked me today actually to to um to look into that on a when a quiet day comes around, just because uh, it has gone very quiet. You know, I think I think um you know, and and again, it, it kind of becomes a topic of conversation, doesn't it? When when money isn't being splashed around, people are like, well, you know, where's the, where's the investment, whatever happened to that? I think, you know, and I just, I had, I had, you know, I saw some people on Twitter yesterday say, oh, you know, it was all a front, you know, they were never, ever seriously considering selling up. And, and I don't, I'm not having that because I don't think you go to the trouble of creating a sales brochure um, and enlisting you know the the services of these major banks unless you were considering it when my colleague david ornstein broke the story last november and tom werner liverpool chairman even went on record as saying you know uh yes you know it, it is true we're considering a sale but there's no urgency there's no time frame and I, I think it was always in terms of a possible full sale i think it was always there was the link to you know, you know, wow, how much has Chelsea just gone for? Let's dip our toe in the water and see and see what what kind of offers come back. And and clearly they didn't get anything remotely approaching what they thought was worth cashing in their chips. And then, you know, I remember speaking to people at FSG in January who said, Yeah, yeah, no, we're not considering a full sale anymore. It's um it'll be minority investment, you know, potentially 10, 15 percent. Um and those talks were described as ongoing and constructive. But yeah, I'd say probably since March, April time, it's gone very quiet, um, which of course doesn't mean that talks aren't happening because, you know, no journalist does like a running commentary on private private financial discussions. But um, I would still expect the minority investment to happen. Um, but yeah, probably... You know, the, 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 I'm certainly at the, at the minute not aware that anything's imminent on that front. James, um, early days, obviously in the close season, but you know we would hope there's some more new faces coming in. But realistically, do you think we could make a fist of it next year for the for the title? Um, I I, th- I think a lot will depend, from my viewpoint, on who else comes in this summer. I think. I think as long as if there's two more midfielders who are capable of of not just being backups but of actually being trusted to start games, uh, two more midfielders and a centre half, I'd I'd be optimistic um, because I think I think that it, it was you know real. There were so many factors last season, and I, I don't go along with this idea that like it's indeterminate. It's just, you know, they're in decline. Um, you know, the clock era is, you know, is is re you know, veered dramatically off course. And, you know, this is bit the beginning of the end. And you all and you had all that stuff, didn't you? About seven years at mine, seven years at Dortmund, you know, look what's happened now, seventh year at Liverpool. I I never I never bought that because I think, well, there was a lot of there was a lot of factors coming together last season with um, you know, the 63 games from the previous season, you know, the the shortened break, the kind of mental as well as, as well as physical toll from that quadruple challenge and missing out on the two biggest prizes, you know, an unprecedented injury crisis that, you know, Liverpool, you know, affected worse than anyone else. And so many key personnel suffering crisis of confidence and major dips in form. And, um, and, and I think for a group that weren't used to losing, you know, suddenly having the succession of setbacks did, did kind of dent morale and there was a period where people were feeling sorry for themselves. So um, and I think the big thing for me was, although it wasn't perfect, those, those last 11 games did, you know, the important thing was restoring some positivity, 
seeing Klopp as well, I think, with his mojo back, and you could tell how, how like eager and hungry he was for for next season to come around. And you know, and he said, Yeah, you know, I remember I was down at St. Mary's on the final day, and again, you know, what a crazy, erratic, ridiculous game that was, the 4-4 draw. And he was like, Yeah, I'm glad it's over. He said, But I can't wait for August. I can't, you know, because he said we will be a proper force again. And and I think I think I think you only had to see the the atmosphere and the adulation for him when um, when Liverpool did that lap of appreciation after the final home game. That you know the, the vast vast majority are fully behind him. They just want to see that backed up with a proper show of ambition from the owners in terms of backing him this summer. And if they do that, if if there aren't any holes in the squad, come come you know the middle of August, which I for me means two more midfielders and a centre half. Then yeah, I'll be very optimistic that that Liverpool will be contenders this time around. I think the front five teams is as good as anybody in the way anybody any team in the Premier League. You know, Nunes, yeah. Diaz, uh, Gabco, Salah, uh, uh, and Jota, and Jota, poor old Jota. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think they're as good as anyone. I watched Diaz scoring a brilliant goal for Colombia the other day with a header. Have we lost? Yeah, them? yeah, that, that that was against Germany, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an absolute abuse as well. You know, like he he looks as if he's going to be back to his you know his best. And I think I think he's one who we've really missed. And I think when we were talking about Nunes before, I think Diaz. Will probably bring out the best of Nunes, uh, you know. So I, I'm really positive about next season, as long as, as you say, we we do get the extra midfield players in. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'd, I'd go along with that, especially when I think you know you factor in. You mentioned Diaz there, and you know we effectively had to do without Diaz for the whole season, really, didn't we? I mean, he, he missed so much football. You know, he missed all the football that really mattered at the you know, that the key moments of the season and, you know, when he got back, he wasn't quite understandably wasn't quite bang on it. And you look at Nunes, you think, well, you know, he, we expect him to to really kick on. You think, you know, Jota, you know, I absolutely love Jota, but again, he missed so much football last season, you know, and he, he showed in the running just how dangerous he is. You think, you know, Cody Gagpo impressed everyone just in those few months after he joined, but, how much will he benefit from a proper preseason? So, and then yeah, and then you factor in Trent as we talked about earlier. Just looks, you know, completely re-energized by by the change of role, and you know, if he can maintain maintain those standards, then you know that's going to be such an incredible weapon to have going into going into the season. So, um, yeah, I'm. I'm I'm optimistic, but probably cautiously optimistic at the moment because, yeah, I'd say McAllister's a really promising start to the window. Yet Liverpool need to bit back that up with with more clever business if if they're going to try and try and get themselves back into competing for the biggest prizes again. JP, thanks very much. Fantastic for you to join us on the podcast, making your debut on the Red Post podcast. Hope you'll join us again in the future. I hope that you call good news Pierce over the next few weeks. <laughs> making transfer stories that the Twitter will be happy about for an hour. <laughs> I don't, I say, I don't. I've never understood, to be honest, JP, while, you know, not just yourself, but journalists in general, you know, a player gets linked with Liverpool and there's absolutely no interest because it's agent-driven. Yeah, and yeah. all of a sudden you come out and sort of say, Liverpool have no interest in the player. And all of a sudden, it's your fault. You know what I mean? You're only telling the truth. You know, if you're stopping Twitter going on, you know, days and days and days of, of putting up videos of this fella, showing them in the best bits, you know, go, going on about how good he is. And then all of a sudden, you come on and say, no interest. And then they all blame you. So hopefully, I hope you, uh, you bring, them, bring them all some good news over the next couple of weeks. Before uh, so. before too long. But once again, JP, thanks again. Much appreciated. You've been brilliant. Thanks, no worries, Jay. guys. As a, Take a care, pleasure. Yeah. Take care of yourselves. Cheers. Thank you. <clears throat> right. Just before we, we wrap up the show tonight, over to Tom, who wants, uh, wants to ask you a favour. 
Yeah, I think I think if you really everybody out there who's listening to the podcast, if you really enjoy the podcast, could you could you give us a follow on on Podbean or Apple or whatever whatever you're listening to it by, and also we're available on the LFC Red Poets podcast on YouTube. We would love you to subscribe because it means a lot to us. Three old football, football fans who come out and try to, try to give you a really good quality show. So back to you, Les. Less of the old, Tom. Use the word experienced. Experienced. That's it. I'm that's, going with me, you. <laughs> that, that's made us, me and people feel better, that, Tom. Anyway... Thanks. Anyway, that's the end of the latest edition of the LFC Red Poets podcast. I hope you enjoyed the last hour or so with James Pearce. Very insightful. Um, and as you always as you always end with, justice for the 97. Don't buy the sun and you'll never walk alone.